You know, just to start off, um, you know, I decided to entitle this message pretty weird, Angels and Demons, the Reality of the Spiritual Realm. And as that gets your mind going of saying, what's going on, have you ever encountered an angel? Um, I have no clue if I did, okay? The closest thing that I can recall in my family is my wife uh, used to work for a commercial landscape company, and she was the office manager, and they had one of those high-speed you know, modular travelers for an office. Well, they ended up hiring this guy. You know, he's, he's homeless, but he's young. It looks like he can work hard. And so for a week, uh, they let him stay in the office. In fact, me and my wife went and bought him some stuff, and he had this bicycle, and, and he stayed in the office there. And then one day, he's gone, and all of his stuff is still there. He even left an iPod. You know, for some of you, that was before the iPhone. You know, is he even left that there? Just gone, just quick as that. And I'm sure some of you have uh, other stories that you've encountered. And our culture is being a little bit manipulated, right? Now, some of you are older. Who remembers the show Touched by an Angel? Okay. Not real. Just telling you. Not real. All right. Uh, There's some uh, other shows and other things that you might be thinking about, uh, about angels. Um, But in all reality is that it's pretty serious when it comes to the other side of that. And there's bad angels, okay? Not all of them are are cute little babies with wings, you know, on a cloud. They're not like that. But some of you might have encountered circumstances, and and I believe I have a couple times of those, of people that were demon-possessed, just to put it plain. I was in the Army for 15 years, or 20 years law enforcement for 15 years, and you experienced the depravity of man and the depth of sin. Uh, when you are in law enforcement. So pray for our our law enforcement officers and emergency services and firemen because some of the things do not get out of your head in which I will talk about tonight. Um, I'm not talking about a demon in my head, don't worry. Um, But one one event is I had just got to Fort Bliss and I'm getting trained as a patrol supervisor over like 10 patrols. And before we even get in the building to do training, before we get our, our vehicles to go out and all this other stuff, is that there's a unique gentleman that's there, and luckily he's handcuffed at the time. Uh, but uh, eventually I have to take him up to the hospital for a blood draw. Well, the paramedics, he wasn't too cooperative with, so you, you know, watch out, because they can put you face down on the gurney and strap you down that way, and then if you still don't cooperate, they pick up the front of the gurney. So you are in a nice little banana shape backwards. So we get to the hospital, get him to do with the doctors, and he, and I'm like 20 feet away, because I don't want to aggravate the guy. And he looks right at me and says, I know you, I know you. And he, he mumbled something else up, mumbled something else. Um, the other time <clears throat> was here. Well, there's a couple other times. But it was here in about 2005-ish. Um, I was still in the Army. I uh, wasn't on staff. Um, but Pastor Sean was here, and it was before he was a missionary. And we, and, and those of you that recall the old sanctuary on the other side, and we, still, we had these same blue chairs, um, there was a unique 20-something-year-old that was there that evening, and he sat in the, the back right, like in, uh, in front of the nursing, old nursing mom's room there. Well, during that night, he ended up turning a chair, plopping his feet on it. He ended up spitting on the floor a couple times. He was giving, um, um, raising his hand in gestures towards Pastor Eric, and he, he wasn't saying amen, if you know what I mean. Um, so he eventually, he, we get him out and he leaves and uh, 
Pastor Sean follows him out. I'm like, that dude's not right. So I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be Pastor Sean's backup. And so he's talking, and I am praying up a whirlwind right behind him because this guy is saying stuff that is, like, bizarre and out of this world, okay? It's just weird. And then the, the next day, I was coming back Sunday to bring communion plates back from the nursing home, and Pastor Sean talks to me and says, I did not sleep all night. That guy was was off his rocker. He was demon-possessed. And some of you may have in, encountered stories like that, but Hollywood can desensitize us to that, can't it? You know, they put uh, shows on like Shadow Hunters and Lucifer on TV, all right? Um, part of my opinion is that uh, the alien phenomenon and superheroes and villains that we watch is desensitized us to the spiritual realm, you know? For those that don't have a strong biblical foundation and believe in God, when they see somebody fly, they're like, oh, I was waiting for it to happen, you know, and things, things like that. But as we get into our study tonight, it's, it's going to be pretty horrendous. And what I don't want you to do is to get stuck with the details to try to find the answers for every single thing, because then you'll miss the message. So before we go there, let's, let's do a quick review of... Revelation. So Revelation means the apocalypse of Jesus, the uncovering, the unveiling, the revealing of who he is. Remember that? Okay, chapter 1 talks about his glorified self and gives quite a few characteristics that he's in the midst of the churches, the lampstands, right? Not, in, not only the universal church, but us. Christ is here. And then you get to chapter 2 and 3 and you have the admonition and the exhortation of the churches. The admonition for correction, for false worship false beliefs, false practice, but the encouragement for faithfulness and for perseverance. Do you remember? Okay, because everybody's like, oh, I don't want to be in that church. I know you did it when we were going through it. And then in chapter three, or I mean, chapter four is just an awesome scene, the revealing of the Almighty. And you'll remember that grandiose uh, scene with living creatures that, are, that would rock our world if we saw them today, that are around the throne you don't see the face of God on the throne, but he's surrounded by a green or emerald uh, multicolor or multi-shaded rainbow. It talks about the sea of glass. It talks about other things that are there, and they fall down and, and worship him. Do you remember? And in chapter 5, who's revealed? Everybody cries, and they're in heaven. They're in the throne room of God, and they cry. And why are they mourning? It's because there's this important scroll that nobody there is worthy to unroll. But then who comes on the scene? The revelation of Jesus. He's a lamb as if he'd been slain, but he's also the only one that can open that scroll. And so they worship him and they worship God through that chapter. And then as we head into chapter six, if you can, you can imagine a scroll, we don't, luckily we don't do this today, but they bind it up so far, and then they would, they would typically take clay or, or foldable metal, and they would clamp over it like we use a paper clip. But when you broke the seal, it was broken. You couldn't reuse it. And then that begins to happen. The first one is unrolled, and one of those multi-faced living creatures that I think is just colossal and huge says, tells John, come and see, and he describes what? The conqueror with no weapon. He describes death in Hades. He describes uh, uh, the pale horse, the sickness, the famine. He describes all of that. And we get to the fifth 
seal and he does, and he looks across heaven he looks across the sea of glass to the altar and he sees the martyrs those that have died for the cause of Christ because of their faith under there all right and they ask how long oh lord the sixth seal happens and its cosmic disturbances, thunders, lightnings, islands are moved out of its place, mountains fall down. They see the sign of the Son of Man and the one who is sitting on the throne and everybody gets saved, right? No. They cry out for the rocks in the mountains to fall on them and kill them. Hide us from the face of the one who sits on the throne and the wrath of the Lamb. They don't repent. They don't believe. And then we get into chapter 7, a parenthesis or an interlude that talks about not only those that in Israel that are going to be sealed, the 144,000 as a completion of uh, those that will be sealed by God, but it also talks about the great multitude. And guess what? That's me. That's me. I'm there. And I hope that you are too. And we sing praises unto him. And with we learned last week with the seventh seal was what? Great silence. Talking about the gravity of what's going to happen with these trumpets. And we get through those first four trumpets with Pastor Sean. Well, just a caveat here. He went long last week. No, he didn't. I'm going longer. No, just joking. But the first four trumpets, if you notice, the first four trumpets are towards nature. Aren't they? Vegetation, waters. It's toward nature. Is there, is there impact upon mankind? Yes, there is. But it's not directed towards them. And then the end of chapter 8, which is where we're going to start. So read with me in 8.13. In Revelation chapter 8, verse 13, And I looked, and I heard an angel flying through the midst of heaven, saying with a loud voice, Woe, woe, woe to the inhabitants of the earth because of the remaining blasts of the trumpet of the three angels who are about to sound. Then the fifth angel sounded. And I saw a star fallen from heaven to the earth. To him was given the key to the bottomless pit. And he opened the bottomless pit, and smoke arose out of the pit like the smoke of a great furnace. So the sun and the air were darkened because of the smoke of the pit. Then out of the smoke, locusts came upon the earth and to them was given power as the scorpions of the earth have power. They were commanded not to harm the grass of the earth or any green thing or any tree, but only those men who did, do not have the seal of God on their foreheads. And they were not given authority to kill them, but to torment them for five months their torment was like the torment of a scorpion when it strikes a man. In those days, men will seek death and will not find it. They will desire to die, and death will flee from them. The shape of the locust was like horses prepared for battle. On their heads were crowns of something like gold, and their faces were like the faces of men. They had hair like women's hair, and their teeth were like lion's teeth. And they had breastplates like breastplates of iron. And the sound of their wings was like the sound of chariots with many horses running into battle. They had tails like scorpions. There were stings in their tails. Their power was to hurt men five months. And they had a king over them, the angel of the bottomless pit, whose name is, in Hebrew is Abaddon. 
but in Greek he has the name Apollyon. One woe is past. Behold, still two more woes are coming after these things. Then the sixth angel sounded, and I heard a voice from the four horns of the golden altar, which is before God, saying to the sixth angel who had the trumpet, Release the four angels who are bound at the great river Euphrates. So the four angels who had been prepared for the hour and day and month and year were released to kill a third of mankind. Now the number of the army of the horsemen was 200 million. I heard the number of them. And thus I saw the horses in the vision. Those who sat on them had breastplates of fiery red, hyacinth blue, and sulfur yellow. And the heads of the horses were like the heads of lions. And out of their mouths came fire, smoke, and brimstone. By these three plagues, a third of mankind was killed by the fire and the smoke and the brimstone, which came out of their mouths. For their power is in their mouth and in their tails. For their tails are like serpents having heads, and with them they do harm. But the rest of mankind who were not killed by these plagues did not repent of the works of their hands, that they should not worship demons and idols of gold, silver, brass, stone, and wood, which can neither see nor hear nor walk. And they did not repent of their murders or their sorceries or their sexual immorality or their thefts. Let's pray. Father, we come before you to to hear your word tonight from the Holy Spirit to the hearts of all that are here and know these these visions that John has described. We know that the words that are even kept for us are those that you've provided and may you give us understanding. And may it not be understanding that we just take to say that we know what this one book or what this one chapter says and that we figured out all the answers, but may we understand what it is saying to not only apply to our hearts, but share the gospel with others. Just ask that tonight that there would be no hindrances or barricades to the truth of your word, that there'd be no distractions, and all for all of us that we might remain humble even of studying such things. We ask all these things because of the revelation of Jesus Christ to man, that his intercession for us, that he's paid for our sins, of which we don't take for granted. In his name we pray, amen. Now let me catch up to where I was. Okay. So we're going to go through this. We've read through the whole, the whole chapter, and we're not going to necessarily read every single verse today, but go ahead and follow along because I'll reference the verses. Any other verses that we talk about, I'll likely read to you. So if you're a note taker, let's just, you know, stretch right now, okay? So you'll, you'll be ready. So 9-1, we see two things that happen there. As you look at that verse, is that you see that the key holder to the pit is revealed and the key is revealed. Is that the key holder does not have the key, but as the fifth trumpet sounds, John sees an angel that had fallen is the proper tense. So he doesn't see an angel that falls. Now, a lot of people will say, well, I think the fallen angel is Satan and he's given the key. I think that the fallen angel is one of the rebellious fallen angels. Now, the problem I have with that is that when we study this thing the the right way is that we are going to end up seeing that the person that has the keys would likely not give them to Satan. You have to refer back to Revelation chapter 1. 
Verse 18, it's describing Christ. Remember, he had, he had white hair, eyes like fire, feet like burnished brass, you know, and he, he had a, a gold band, but he also had some keys. And it says in verse 18, I am he who lives and was dead, and behold, I live, I am alive forevermore. Amen. And I have the keys of Hades and of death. So Jesus, the Son of God, is the one that has the keys. Okay, here's Satan, here you go. No, I don't think so. But also in chapter 20, verse 1 through 3, as we see the angel come back with the keys. Now that's a few more weeks down the road. But it says in verse 1 through 3, Then I saw an angel coming down from heaven, having the key to the bottomless pit and a great chain in his hand. He laid hold of the dragon, that serpent of old, who is the devil and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years. And he cast him into the bottomless pit and shut him up and set a seal on him so that he should deceive the nations no more till the thousand years were finished. But after these things, he must be released for a little while. So it's likely that the key holder, the angel that comes to earth and then is given the keys, is one that is commissioned by God for that purpose. That is his responsibility. If you've started to notice throughout this, the titles, angels and demons, and you're going to see this the whole time. Angels are given responsibilities. They are giving, given purposes. Okay, Bible quiz time. I know some people really like this. All right. Who's top archangel right now? Michael, okay, who delivered the message to, some messages to Daniel and to Mary? Gabriel, good, you're on it, all right? Don't know the rest of them, although some people think that they do. Verse 2, look what it says there. It describes the description of the pit. Rising smoke as from a furnace, just imagine the stench of a coal stove, because of the sulfur that's in coal, enough to blacken the sun and the air. For those of you that recall the Gulf War, do you remember when the oil fields were set on fire? That was pretty black. You did not see the sun, all right? And you didn't have good visibility even driving, all right? Um, pretty desperate of what it's like. Now, the questions should come in your mind. Well, what is the pit? What is... The bottomless pit. And this comes into, you have to have the whole scheme of things to understand what it's talking about. So, here's my artistic ability. Thanks. Okay. And some of you will get this. Right here's a happy little Colorado spruce. All right. So, here's life above earth. Okay. Here's afterlife. Death. Okay. Now, what the scripture describes to the to the best of some of our recollections is this place. Okay. In the in the Hebrew, it's called Sheol. In Greek, it's called Hades, which is generic terms. But what it means is grave. Okay. It just means the grave. Now, what's further broken down into that place? is that not everybody goes to the same place, even though it is the whole. So what is separates the two is a great chasm that's uncrossable, but that is also the source of the pit here, which is, all right, locked up. Make my quick little master lock here. 
which is locked up, right? Now, on one side, some of the words are Abe's bosom, Abraham's bosom. It's also called uh, paradise. And place of the righteous, dead. However, on this side, it is called, even with Christ's words, Gehenna. It's called uh, uh, place for the unrighteous dead. And another name for the pit, besides bottomless pit, abyss, is called Tartarus. So, what is current today, and this is before Christ. Boy, I know the, the cameramen are probably freaking out. Okay, Christ died and rose, and you can read Matthew twenty-seven forty-nine. It talks about the graves of the Old Testament saints coming, coming open and then walking on the earth for 40 days. Okay? So he led captivity captive and no longer do believers go here. You immediately go to the presence of God. However, this is jail. Okay? This, this is hell. This is not the lake of fire. Okay, this is the holding tank before you go before the judge. We have jail, then you go to the judge, then you get adjudicated and punished, and you go to prison. Same thing. This right here is uncrossable. Luke 10, 38, you'll hear the story of Lazarus. It's not a parable, and he describes this. The pit was, this is not designed for man. And it says that in First and Second Peter. It's First Peter 3, I think 19, and Second Peter Two, I think verse 4 and also Jude verse 6 this is for certain fallen rebellious angels which we'll cover in a second this is what's unlocked folks these dudes have been in chains for, for millennia okay millennia and that's what's coming out upon the earth so this description of the pit is not a comic book it's the reality of God giving the permission of these things to be let loose, and they are coming upon the earth. Now, those believers that are there, as we get into it, we'll see who, who, is, who is able to be affected and who is not. But this is where they're coming from. Now, in verse 3, verse 3a, then out of the smoke locusts came upon the earth. And then in verse 7 through 10, it describes them even more, okay, they're like locusts like horses prepared for battle. They have heads on their heads or crowns, something like gold. Um, their faces were like the faces of men. Uh, hair like women's hair. Teeth were like lion's teeth. Breastplates with breastplates of iron. Sound of their wings was like the sound of chariots. Now, if you want to feel really warm and comfy that these aren't demons, you can just think they're Apache helicopters. Because that's what some people teach. But the reality of the consistency of what scripture is, and they'll say, well, John was trying to describe it, and they didn't know what fabricated metal and engines were, so he's likely trying to describe an Apache helicopter. Folks, Apache helicopters don't have women's hair. <laughs> if you really look, they don't look at a, like a horse either. Now, 
And, it, and, and it, if also all of you are laughing in here, there's no fear with it. There's no fear with it of who these actually are. Uh, the uniqueness of the word locust that is coming is that even in some different languages, they call them a, literally call them a type of horse. So if you're German, excuse my German, Hupford is hay horse, but Hupford is what they mean for locusts. But a literal translation is hay horse. If you're Italian, I apologize too, although I lived in both countries for a while. And this is not a pasta, so don't get confused, all right? Cavaletta means little horse, and that's what they call a locust. So even in, in two countries, they use a literal word for horse that they describe uh, actual locusts. Now, part two. Who are the dudes that are in the pit? Now, we've used a generic term of fallen angels to describe them. But what does it mean? Is Satan a fallen angel? Yes. Is he locked in chains right now? No. So he must not be part of the same group. And that's the hard part of understanding some of the economy of God's history of what's happened. So you have heavenly host. Okay. So particularly the people that we've that we know, and Ephesians chapter 6 talks about powers, principalities, rulers, uh, and dominions. That's talking about hierarchy. Just like in the military, you have the general, okay, the colonels, majors, lieutenants, all right, and everybody else, all right? It's the same way. Is that there is a hierarchy of responsibility and power. So, archangel, don't know how many there is. One of the top guys. Different types, seraphim. Cherubim, not cherubs, as fat little babies with wings, okay? And the one that we've learned from Revelation chapter 4, they are called the four living creatures, okay? The four living creatures, and they're the personal bodyguard of God, if you just want to look at it that way. So a multitude of these were, were created. Of what degree, I don't know. So the A's represent angels because I couldn't draw angels quick enough. But certain things happen. First of all, we know in Genesis chapter 3, who inspired the serpent to tempt Eve? Likely Satan. But we also know from Isaiah chapter 14 of how beautiful Satan was. His, his name is Lucifer. Satan is a description. His name is Lucifer, son of the morning or morning star. Okay? Just think, it's a beautiful name. Nobody here wants to name their son Lucifer, do they? Because of what happened. All right? If, if you go through Job chapter 1, it talks about the sons of God were meeting before God. And Satan, the adversary, the accuser, came among them. And he says, what have you been up to? And this is Dan's paraphrase, okay? So don't get offended. God says, what are you up to? Oh, I've been walking through the, the whole earth. That's what he was doing at that time. And it's likely, okay, this is, don't. Don't get your brain in a knot. It's likely he, he had already fallen from heaven, but it hadn't been banished from att attendance. He just didn't reside there. And then he gets into the mix about Job. Yeah, Job just worships you because you pay him off. You bless him. You give him everything. He has no worries. That's the only reason Job worships you. No, Job's a righteous man. Take his things. Don't touch him. And Satan does what? Takes his livestock. 
takes his kids. Job still doesn't curse God, does he? And he, does, he plays this game with Job. God allows it to happen to show the reality of the relationship that Job has with God. For those of you that read scriptures, know there's one thing that angels are confused about. It's the salvation of you. It's God's love for you. And that he provided something to redeem you from the influence and control of Satan. He did it. And they don't get it. God doesn't redeem angels. Why? They were in God's presence. And they still rebelled. So that's part of it. When you get to Revelation chapter 12, you're going to see that, like, if this is one-third, one-third, go with Satan. All right? But what it's talking about in the pit is angels that have been locked up. All right? They're not necessarily demons that are active today. And when you read the descriptions of them, and this is just personal opinion, okay, is that there is something unique in Genesis chapter 6 because the references that I gave you in 1 Peter chapter 3 and in 2 Peter chapter 3 both reference Noah and the flood and the destruction of mankind. That they exalted themselves to manipulate creation and God says that's it. You touched man, you're going. And he locks them up. And here they're unleashed. Oh, man, it's 7.30. (sighs) All right. So the next thing, the destruction from the pit. You know, unlike locusts, they aren't to harm vegetation. When you hear stories of locusts going through, you know, the Dust Bowl, the Dust Bowl in the 30s, I believe, uh, you know, that was part of it that happened. And there were still times after that. When you hear about over in the Middle East and Northern Africa, when locusts come, it becomes dark. They ravage the land. Trees, vegetation, corn, whatever is growing, they destroy it. Well, these locusts are said, you're not to touch that, but you can touch those that are not sealed by God. Okay. Now, we've already covered that. Those that are sealed in being described in chapter 7. All right? talking about the Jews but if you're a believer you're sealed today it talks about that the Holy Spirit has sealed you once you have believed it's in Ephesians chapter 1 and 2nd Corinthians chapter 2 right and it says now he who establishes us with you in Christ as and has anointed us in God who also has sealed us and given us the spirit in our hearts as a guarantee right the Holy Spirit's not some little tag or something that you give and you give back. He resides in you and it says, you're mine. The same thing happens during the tribulation. God's people do not suffer wrath. They aren't touched. The suffering of the pit, verse 6, and we miss this in English, but it's more of a poetic form. So it might sound like this. They sought death, but it was not there. They desired it but death was elsewhere. This, thinking about this really, I get irritated sometimes. Just so you know, Hollywood doesn't have a good picture of the Bible. You know. Because we've already been desensitized to this verse. When this happened, remember the end of chapter 9, they don't repent. When this happens and they see the torture that people go through, is that they still won't repent. 
You heard about the zombie apocalypse? People are not going to be surprised if people have been stung and they're, they're hurting for five months and they look like a zombie or act like them. They're not going to be surprised at all. In fact, we have a popular TV show, don't we? Walking Dead. Do you, do you understand what that does? I do not need God. I just need my crossbow and a lighter and a Molotov cocktail. And I'll make it through it. Now, some of you, some of you are, are laughing. But when they go through this, folks, they won't be laughing. Some of you have had sicknesses that you thought were unto death. You know, for, if you remember me last year around this time, I looked like a zombie, didn't I? Okay, I was taking chemotherapy pills. The difference for us is that we don't hope to die. One of the first suicide services that I had to do was for an older gentleman. had been in the Marines. had hit a point where he had kidney failure and cancer and just decided he couldn't take the pain. Goes downstairs in his basement. He's 70-something, 70, 70 late 70s, kills himself because he didn't want to be there for his family and take the pain. And there's a variety of different reasons, and we're going to cover more on this verse as we get through this. So verse 12, or the king of the pit, we can't skip him. Abaddon, Apollyon, the destroyer. I think this is likely another fallen angel, not necessarily um, Satan, because he's not bound in the pit yet. That's not until chapter 20. But it could have been the leader of that rebellion in Genesis chapter 6. That is the king. And he's known as the destroyer. Verse 12 is the exclamation. Just a quick summary. One woe down. There's still two woes to go. Now, we always focus on the seals, the trumpets, and the bowls. But folks, what it is saying is that these three trumpets are worse than the other trumpets. These are woes. Even Christ used the word woe, and he used it against cities. Woe to you, Chorazin and Bethsaida. If the works had been done in you, that were, if, if the works had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented compared to what you guys have responded. And there was a couple of other ones. Then we get to the sixth trumpet. If the fifth trumpet isn't bowed enough, the sixth trumpet comes. So in verse 13, we have the sound of angels. The first is that the, the trumpeteer blows, but when he does, there's a voice that comes, and it comes from the four horns of the golden altar, the altar of incense, not the uh, main altar. And it's likely an angelic, the angelic priest that you read about in the first part of chapter 7, or I mean the first part of chapter 8, the seventh seal. You remember he casts the censer to the earth? Well, when you read through those chapters, okay, it's describing what Moses had as the diagram that was given to him of the tabernacle, right? So rewind that Rolodex back to Exodus, okay? We have the outer court here, and the first thing that you get into when you walk inside to the area is what? The brazen altar, where the sacrifices happened. Next thing comes is the basin that they washed with. You remember in heaven, this is the altar where the martyrs were. 
Okay, fifth seal martyrs are right here. Then John talks about the sea of glass. Remember? Sea of glass. Then you come in here. All right, don't make fun of my drawings. Okay, what you know as the menorah is the, la- is the lampstand. Okay, you remember the reference to the lampstands in chapter one, that Christ is in the midst of the lampstands. On the other side, okay, is the table of showbread, bread of life, representing Christ as well. Well, right here before the Holy of Holies, all right, is a smaller altar. It's only about this big, okay? They would take these coals and put these coals, but then they would take the prescribed incense that God said, here's the recipe, all right? And just by the way, God is serious about his worship because two of Aaron's sons got fried, all right, for false worship. And then the incense was placed up on here. So the voice, and then in here was what we call the Ark of the Covenant, all right, but it represents the throne of God. So you, if you can imagine the tabernacle, you can imagine what's happening in heaven, all right, is that God is on the throne. The fifth trumpet has just blown. The angel that has, has got the incense and the, and the coals from here and cast the censer to the ground, a voice from the midst of the altar of incense says, release the four angels. Release them. And it talks about the river Euphrates. It's not the angels from chapter 7, verse 1 from the four corners of the earth. These are likely fallen angels. It's not a human war of two million people, but these are likely the demons that exist today because the 200 million horsemen are not locked up, are they? They don't come from a pit. The four angels are their what? Commanders, right? In verse 14, the command of the angel talks about release. This does not refer to the Gog, Magog, war of Ezekiel either. It's not referring to Armageddon. This is still spiritual. And if you read in verse 15, the destruction, and I call them the fallen four, that it brings in verse 15. So the four angels who had been prepared for that hour and day and month and a year were released to kill a third of mankind. This is the irony in this chapter, and this is where some of you who don't believe and even may believe that you have a problem with your theology of God is because when you misread this, did God tell them to do this? The only command given is release. These fallen angels, you have to remember, they are rebellious against God, and in his grace and mercy is that he has bound up certain angels. He's bound up angels in the pit, He's bound up those four angels at wherever the river Euphrates is. He's bound up the four angels at the four corners of the earth, all right? Because if they were released at the wrong time, it's not his plan because God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should repent. But it's come a time to this day, this time, this hour, the people or the, the, the entities that the people that are not sealed, who they're worshiping will end up destroying them. And that's exactly what happens. By the time that this third of mankind is killed, just imagine 
the population of the earth. The church is gone now. And we've seen some devastation that's already happened. We've seen some killing that's happened and there hasn't been numbers. But we've also seen killing that has happened and there's been numbers. Is that there's less than half the people on the world as when the church left. Just doing quick numbers based off a number of 7.5 billion is at this time, they're at 3.36 billion. That's how many people are gone. Think, think about that for a second. Now you'll understand why the seventh seal, that there's silence in heaven. God takes no pleasure in the death of the righteous or the wicked. He doesn't take the pleasure in the death of any of them. We see the army in verse 16. Like I talked, 200 million. John's told the count. Just think how long Revelation would be if he had to count it. Farther description of who they are in verse 17 through 19. You notice the difference is in the fifth trumpet says the locusts. And it describes a, a type of, of uh, demonic uh, fallen angel beast. Whereas this, it describes those who sat upon them first. So you have two things. Those that are sitting on the horse-like creatures with the lion's head and the serpent tail. And then the creature. Right? Um, breastplates of fiery red. Their breastplates are remembering what is going to be the judgment. So hyacinth. Anybody use that word this week? Any interior designers? Hyacinth? No? Okay. So it's a blue, black, dark purple um, likely representing smoke. Sulfur yellow is from uh, brimstone and then the fiery red from the fire. And that is what comes out of the mouth of the horse-like creatures with a head of lion and a tail of a serpent. And these are weapons of judgment. All right? Likely delivered by angels, but these are delivered by fallen angels. But Sodom and Gomorrah, you'll recall, was judged. In verse in chapter 19, verse 23 and 24 of Genesis, the sun had risen upon the earth when Lot entered Zoar. Then the Lord rained brimstone and fire, and fire on Sodom and Gomorrah from the Lord out of the heavens. And even today, you can look it up. Sodom's location, you'll find brimstone hail that's still there and sulfur. There's pain and suffering likely from the tails of these beasts as well, but what comes out of their mouth kills them. So in the fifth trumpet, and this is where I want to focus for the next 30 seconds. <laughs> All right. In verse 6, and then what is at the end, verse 20 and 21, there's two critical things here. And this, believer, is where your heart should break, is despite the devastation that they go through, the suffering that they go through, is they still don't repent. So it's easy to get wrapped up in the details. Well, I wonder what the hair of the locust meant. Was it their antennae or did they actually have hair? And you miss the point of pushing you towards the gospel and of pushing you towards prayer for those that have hardened their heart. And I know that you have family and you have friends and close friends that they've hardened their heart against the gospel. There's going to be a time where there's not a chance. Do you understand that? There's not going to be a chance for you to share because you're up there. 
There's not going to be a chance for them to believe because it's too late. They've hardened their heart. And this is throughout Bible. Pharaoh recognized the miracles of God, but he still did what? Hardened his heart, hardened his heart, hardened his heart. King Agrippa, Paul, is imprisoned, and he's given a testimony to King Agrippa. And you know what he says? Paul, almost, almost you persuaded me to be a Christian. Almost. And in Hebrews chapter 3, there's the admonition that's to the church. It says, today if you will hear his voice, be saved. Don't harden your hearts. If you're, if you're an unbeliever, this might sound like a cool comic book, fairy tale story, and, and you're desensitized to all this stuff. But the reality of it is, is that you're despising the goodness of God today for your own pleasure. Believers don't say, I'm not there. Because if you're as ornery as I am at times, you'll despise the goodness of God in your suffering or in his blessing, and it's not good enough or it's too hard. And we forget who he is. And we forget that we're sealed. In verse 20 and 21, they're hardened by two things. They're hardened by the works of their hands, the things that they've created to worship. And in American culture, it's a little bit hard. In other cultures, it's not. But here, you drive out Woodman, you go out to Falcon, you're going to see what? Golden ring of Buddhas that are out there that they worship. They worship the work of their hands, the things that they've made, the things that they've created, or literal things that they worship. But second, they have hardness of heart. Because what are the things that they don't repent of? Murder. That goes back, I think, to the third seal. Murder. They don't repent of sorceries. And all of us like to say, oh, that's drugs. This, drugs is just the, top, the, just, the, just the top of it. It's talking about demonic magic. It's talking about using drugs to murder. It's talking about the next thing, using drugs for sexual immorality. You hear of roofies? They drug people so that they can, be, they can have, uh, be sexually intimate with them and sexual immorality. They have hardness of heart because of theft. It's not a pretty picture, is it? So we're going to have communion. And I, and I want you to understand that the elements that are here, and this is, this is even symbolic of the table of showbread, of reminding us of, of Christ whose body was bruised and beaten for you. His body. For those in Ivory, and I'll say it every time I talk probably, if you've seen the passion, that's probably only a glimpse of what Christ went through physically. To be tied to a stone and his back laid open with ball bearings, pieces of glass, pieces of lead. For you. Now imagine that's where I should be. That's where I should have been. And then we remember the cross through the wrists where your nerves are so that you don't rip out. Through your ankle bones sideways, extended to such a point that you have to pull up to try to breathe air and let back down for eternity. 
But like Hebrews 12, 1 and 2 says, it says he did it for the joy that was set before him. So as you take communion, remember two things. Who do I need to pray for that I know is hopeless and suicidal? Am I broken over that? For those of you that remember the springs, we had five, five teens in the space of 60 days. Three of them were from Discovery Canyon campus. Does that break your heart or have you become hard-hearted? Ah, it was their choice. Second, to remember those that are close to you, especially that are not believers. They have no faith in Jesus Christ at all. Reread chapter 9. Envision them going through this. Envision them being stung by the locusts. And envision them terrified of these beasts that spew fire, smoke, and brimstone and trying to save themselves physically. It's hard, isn't it? But we can get inflato head with prophecy and forget the principle that the gospel and the revelation of Jesus Christ, it's what's more important than us figuring out what the color red means on a breastplate. So let's pray. Father, uh, we, we thank you for the power of your word and though we, we are excited to be with you for eternity and, and we thank you that we're not gonna go through this as believers, but yet may our heart be broken because of those that we know today that they're, they're just full of hopelessness and may we provide the hope of the gospel to them. You just pray that uh, your Holy Spirit would minister the truth to them. And also we, we intercede, whether it's for our own children, our parents, our friends, any relatives that are just hard-hearted towards the gospel of denying the fact of the good news of eternity that their sins have been paid for and placing their faith in Jesus Christ because he's done that. That you would break them. You, you have said that you're not willing that any should perish, but that all should repent. And we just ask for that to be so. To me, the truths of this chapter even stick with us today that we might have compassion and empathy, that we might have boldness to share the truth of the gospel, and that we might live for the revelation of Jesus Christ, not only in the future, but even today on those that we talk to. We ask in Jesus' name, amen.